things they teach us as we are writing sermons and preparing messages is the idea of so what? You know, as you're looking at a text and explaining a text and trying to dig into the meaning and find out what it says, the question you have to answer at some point is, so what? What difference does it make? Why is it important? What change should it bring in your life? Well, today, as we look into Galatians chapter 6, we're coming towards the end of Paul's letter, and we get to the so what of the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul has hammered in the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. He has hammered in the fact that there is no work that we can do that brings us in right standing with God. He has hammered in the fact that the gospel changes us and transforms us, making us into people who love God, who want to serve him and honor him with our lives, and that the gospel really does make an actual difference. And so now the question that we have as we're coming through this letter is, is, well, what's the practicality of it? What's the practical effect of the gospel in the life of a Christian? What's the practical effect of the gospel in the life of a church? Well, that's what Paul begins to answer here. And if you ever read through the epistles, you'll find that this pattern comes through over and over and over again. Every epistle pretty much has the same pattern of an opening and a greeting followed by some theological important things that Paul talks about and then ending with this idea of practically how are we to live in light of what we've learned. And when it comes to how we're supposed to live, Paul says this. In verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he de deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will also he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap it if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Paul begins this section of scripture talking practically about something that is supposed to make the church different than really most other gathered groupings that we see in our culture. You know, I want you to think of a, a company and they've got a CEO and they've got employees and they've got managers. They've got all these different positions and all these different things in place. If you're an employee of a large company or a large corporation, and you're caught stealing from the company, what most likely happens to you? 
well, you're removed pretty quickly from that company. You're fired, you're gone. Or maybe you're a part of a school and you find out that, well, you've been doctoring exams and, and kind of fudging on people's test scores here and there. Well, you lose your position pretty quickly. Because see, in the world that we live in, any kind of sin, any kind of corruption, if it is exposed and if it is caught, especially at the lower levels, maybe as you get higher up, you can get away with it a little longer. But when it's exposed and when it's seen for what it is, I mean, those people are simply removed. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. There's no attempt at rehabilitation. It's just, listen, you broke the rules and you're out. You broke the rules and you're gone. You know, I remember my mom one time in the school system had an experience where a student accused her of giving them some kind of medication outside of what the nurse had prescribed. And there was an investigation and there was a trial almost. There was all these people asking questions. A formal inquiry was made and she almost lost her job because a student said something offhand. You know, there's not a lot of grace that we see in the world around us. And yet that's not what the church is supposed to be. You know, if the church had a really strict set of rules and we kind of ruled with an iron fist and the elders of our church came around and said, you know, if we see people sinning, they're not going to come to this church. Well, first of all, our church would be empty pretty quick, right? Because all of us sin and all of us stumble. But that's clearly not how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to live as we gather together as God's people. And as we gather together as God's people, one of the things that should set us apart from the world is how we deal with one another when we find that we have fallen short. Because the scripture in this passage said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, it's interesting that Paul says, you know, you who are spiritual, because what is he been talking about chapter after chapter after chapter? He's been talking about the work of the spirit in the life of the believer. He has said that it is by the spirit that we receive faith in the gospel, that we walk in step with the spirit, that we bear fruit of the spirit, that it's in the spirit's power and the spirit's indwelling that we cry, Abba, Father. He uses this idea of the spirit over and over and over again. And then Paul comes and says, so you who are spiritual, literally meaning those of you who are of the Spirit, those of you who are born of the Spirit, those of you who are Christian, when you find sin in the church, you should handle it a certain way. He doesn't say that you should handle it in a way to embarrass one another. He doesn't say you should drag people forward and air out their dirty laundry in front of everyone else. But no, he says that if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, as we go through church discipline in the church, the goal is not to bring the hammer down on someone who is found in transgression. The goal is not to make people feel guilty. The goal is not to make people feel bad, but the goal of our church discipline and the goal of us joining together as a congregation is to restore the one who is in error. Now, how we go about that is laid out for us 
in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. The scripture there says that when you find someone who has sinned against you, that you confront them, that you talk to them about it. Notice how it doesn't say that you talk to everyone else but them about it. You talk to them about it. And you say, hey, I don't understand what you're doing. And out of love and in gentleness, you go to your brother or sister in Christ and you say, I see you walking down this path that I know that you're going to regret. And I see you doing these things that I know that God would frown upon. And so out of love, I want to warn you as a brother and sister in Christ and just ask, what are you doing? And the hope and the goal of that interaction is to restore them in right standing with God. To show them the error of their way so that they will repent of their sin and be restored to fellowship. And why do we do that? Not because we're legalists holding to some strict code that we have to follow, but we do so because we love one another. You know, it's like a parent instructing their children. We have rules in our house. We have a certain way that it's, we're expected to act. We have a certain way that we expect our kids to speak to one another. And, and why do we have that rule in our home? Why do we have any of the rules that we have in our home? Is it because mom and dad are ogres who want to enact authority over their children? Is it because we really just like the idea of being in charge and telling people what to do and we got these little ones who have to do what we say so we're going to enjoy it while we can? I hope not. No, we have rules in our home because we love our kids. And when they begin to wander outside of those restrictions we've placed on them, we understand that if those things continue, it's going to cause pain in their life. It's going to cause suffering in their life. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon. And so when we see them wandering outside of those parameters, we with love call them back in. And sometimes love is stern, and sometimes love is forceful, but it's always in love, in gentleness. Why? With the hope of restoration. And see, that's one of the differences that should be in the heart and life of the church. As we see those who are in error, as we see those who are in sin, our first concern, first and foremost, should be for them, for their well-being. And because we love them, we cannot help but speak out. Because we love them, we don't withhold correction. And understand that Paul is not talking about like the corporate setting of the church as he talks about this. But he talks to them as brothers. And he says, if anyone's caught in the church in sin, that it's the congregation themselves, those who know each other, those who love each other, those who lean on each other, those who care for each other, who go to one another and restore one another in the faith. It's part of our responsibility as those who have gathered into the church. Because, as Paul points out in verse 2, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, as we band together, we're to bear the burden of one another even as we see each other sinning. Some people look at this verse 
and, and they kind of use it as a crutch to say, well, you know, that means the church is supposed to take care of me, and the church is supposed to provide for me, and the church is supposed to give me things when I need things, and I'm supposed to kind of use the church as a as a ATM to come in, and whenever I've got problems, I come to the church, and the things get fixed, and, and there we go. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Yeah, we are supposed to help one another, and you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, and it says that there were none among them who had need. Because of the love and compassion of the congregation, they sold their possessions, they brought money into the church together, and they said, hey, distribute this to those who might have need in the community, and then guess what? No one in the church had need because they loved each other and they cared for each other. But, you know, the scripture also says that it's a good saying that those who do not work shall not eat. See, there is an idea that you're supposed to attempt to take care of yourselves, and then the church fills in the gap. But again, that's not the provision, and that's not the burden that Paul's talking about in this passage. He's talking about the burden of sin. He's talking about the idea that we should bear one another's burdens by looking out for one another, by providing accountability for one another. Because we understand that God has given us something precious. And God has given us something good. God has given us his word. And in God's word, he has told us this is how you are to live. And God hasn't told us how to live because he wants to impose some kind of rule and regulation over us. He has told us how to live because the way he has told us is the way that leads to life. The way that he has told us to live is the way that is good, the way that is profitable, the way that is prosperous. He has given us the general principles of scripture saying, listen, if you follow these things, well, then your life will go well. Does it mean perfect? No. Does it mean that you'll suddenly have riches beyond compare? No. But what it does mean is that if you follow the general principles, the good that God has in store for you will be a benefit to your life. And see, as we live in the church and as we live with one another and we see people straying away from that path that God has laid out in his word for us to follow, we should love them enough to say, what are you doing? Come back to the fold. That sin has no place in your life. Don't you understand? That's going to hurt you. That's going to rob you of your joy. It's going to rob you of your peace. It's going to rob you from communion and fellowship with Christ. You don't want to go down that path. Come, stay with us. Stay here. Restore your brother to fellowship. And then, you know, as we are part of this community of faith and as we watch out for each other in that capacity, we get to watch out for people in other capacities too. We get to provide for one another's needs. We get to provide for the shortcomings that all of us experience for a time in our life. You know, there was a lady that came to the doors of church a few weeks ago, and she was looking for food. And I talked to her some, I gave her some of the things that we had on hand and prayed with her and shared the gospel with her. But you know, one of the things I told her, I said, you know, at, at this church, one of the things that I have seen time and time again is that the membership of First Baptist Church takes care of one another. And there have been times 
when we've seen someone in the church come upon a time of need. And it has been a blessing in my heart to watch how you all take care of one another. Sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually, sometimes financially. It doesn't usually matter what the need is. There's always someone to fill it. I told this woman at the door, I said, you know, there have been times in my life that if not for a community of faith, that I would have been completely destitute. And I didn't know what that I would do in that moment. But man, the church takes care of one another. And that was my encouragement to her. Find yourself a community of faith. Get yourself plugged in to a church so that when you fall on those times that are difficult, you've got a family that's going to lift you up. And that's one of those things that as we live out the gospel truth that Paul has been presenting for the past five chapters, this is one of those places that should set us apart from the world. If we gather as a congregation together, and there are people in our midst who are suffering in great need, and they make that suffering known, and we don't do something about it because we love one another, shame on us as a church. We haven't gathered together here just once a week so that we can sit, hear a kind word that makes us feel good, and we go about on our way. No, we have bound ourselves together in a community of faith, looking to one another to both hold us accountable, to provide for us in our shortcomings, and then at the same time to provide for others as we have been blessed with abundance. And so then Paul provides an example of exactly how that takes place and how that happens. He says, as he continues on, in verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. It's very kind of odd that Paul throws this verse kind of in the middle of this idea of bearing one another's burdens and taking care of one another and holding each other accountable and restoring each other to sin. Then all of a sudden he goes, oh, and by the way, those who teach the word of God over you, share all good things with them. Support them. Lift them up. But if you look at it in the context of what he's saying, it is an example of how the church bears the burden of others. One of the joys and one of the privileges that I have as pastor of this church is that I have been allotted time to study God's word. In fact, that's part of the reason of the giving of the church. Part of that giving goes towards the support of this building. Some of the giving goes towards the ongoing ministries that we have happening here. And some of that giving goes to allow me to spend time throughout the week looking into God's word, seeing what it says, and then teaching what it says. And the only reason that I'm afforded that time is because of the giving of the congregation. And I hope we understand that the giving that takes place here on a Sunday morning is never done under compulsion. It's never done under threat. It's never done under any kind of manipulation. But the idea is, is that as we gather as a congregation together, we see the benefit of the teaching of God's word. And so then we give with a cheerful heart to support the teaching of God's word. I remember talking with someone a few weeks ago, and they asked me a question. 
And I didn't know the answer to the question off the top of my head. And so I said, well, I have to go and like look at it some and, and you know, I'll get back to you. And they were kind of surprised that I didn't just know the answer. And I was like, listen, give me a week and I can give you a whole sermon on it. All right. Give me time to go study. Give me time to go read and look it up and pray through and all that. And, and I'll give you a great answer. But man, if you want something right now, it's probably not going to be that good. It might not even be accurate. See, there's nothing special about those who are called to ministry. They're not super giants of the faith. Those who serve in the role of pastor aren't spiritually, you know, these great, perfect people. If you were to look at my life and compare it to that of Christ, I'm a mess. No, the only thing that sets me apart is the fact that God has called me to this work and the congregation has afforded me the time to do this work. That's all it is. And it's one of the way that the congregation bears one another's burdens. It's one of the reasons that we come together. And so Paul lists that as an example of bearing one another's burdens. And he continues on, he says... Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. Now, this is an echo of something that Paul has also already said in the book of Galatians. Again, he's talking about how we're supposed to be different, how we're supposed to be set apart, how we're supposed to be changed by the gospel, and that the way we look when we come to church is supposed to look different than that of the world. And he says, listen, if you're not living that way and you're not caring for one another and restoring them from their sin and gentleness, if you're not bearing one another's burdens, if you're not living that way as a family of faith, be warned that God will not be mocked. See, as we live our lives as a congregation, we represent God in the community. And if we live our lives in such a way as to dishonor his name, well, God doesn't stand idly by and allow that to happen. So what happens if we as Christians are living lives and we have sin in our lives? What happens as Christians if as we leave these doors, we act and we live in a way that does not honor Christ? Well, eventually, God will expose that sin. God will show that sin and God will show that shortcoming. And he will make it very clear that while we may come to church, we do not truly belong to him. And so as Paul says here, he looks and he says, listen, if you're going to sow in the flesh and you're going to sow into your sin and you're going to continue to live a life outside of Christ, well, then what you're going to reap from that is corruption. But if you sow into the spirit and you sow into the things of God and you spend time in his word and you spend time in his prayer and you spend time fellowshiping with believers, you make a real effort in crucifying your sin the way that the Bible tells you to, well, then you're going to reap from that eternal life. Another way Paul says in other parts of Scripture is the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, we as Christians are expected to live differently. 
And again, it's not to earn our salvation. It's not the living that makes us saved. It's the being saved that makes us live differently. But the two always come together. And so as Paul says here, God will not be mocked. And so as we live our lives, we want to make sure that we are sowing into those things of the Spirit. We want to make sure that we are spending time in his scripture on a daily basis. We want to make sure that we are going before him in prayer. We want to make sure that we are fellowshipping with one another so that in doing so, we walk in step with the Spirit. So that in doing so, we walk in the power of the Spirit. But, you know, there's a problem that comes as we kind of live that way that's so different from the world. There's a problem that comes as we hold one another accountable in our sin. There's a problem that comes as we bear one another's burdens and we continue to do this good work. And the problem is that it's tiresome. Have you ever had the experience where you're constantly pouring yourself out and serving someone else? You ever had the experience where day after day you get up and most of your time is just devoted towards other people? You don't think about yourself, you don't think about your well-being, you don't think about the things that you want, but all of your energy goes towards others. Anyone who has children knows exactly what I'm talking about because that's the life of a parent, especially a parent of little kids. You know, you wake up in the morning and you've got to feed and you've got to clothe and you've got to clean. And then after you've done those things, you've got to clean up from the feeding and clean up from the clothing and even clean up from the cleaning sometimes. And it just never ends. Well, sometimes being a part of a church can be like that because I don't know if you realize this or not, but as we gather together as Christians, we are a lot of broken, messy people. And every single one of us needs a lot of help from everybody else who's sitting here. And you know, sometimes when you bring your mess into the church, others get to gather around and help you clean that up. And sometimes you get to be a part of helping clean up other people's mess and holding them to that standard that God has for their lives, loving them and caring for them the way the Bible calls us to. But man, when you do that day after day after day after day, it gets tiresome. Sometimes you sit back and you think, you know, I've been pouring myself out for other people so much. When's someone going to pour their life into me? When's someone going to come and help me? And I'm just so tired of always being there for other people. Well, Paul understands that, and that's why he gives us this encouragement. In verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Can you imagine entering in to a church situation where no one in the congregation grows weary from doing good? Where no one in the congregation tires of serving one another? Or even if they do grow tired, they keep on doing it anyway. Can you imagine walking into a place where nobody sitting in the seat has their own well-being, their own satisfaction, or their own gratification as the first and foremost priority of their life in that moment? And yet everyone sitting there is looking around at one another, 
wondering, how can I be a blessing to my brother or sister next to me in this moment? And when you attain that perfectly, that's called heaven. Because that's what it's going to be like. And that's difficult for us because we are sinful and we are broken and we are selfish. I, I mean, I've said before, I don't think I've ever had a perfectly altruistic thought or motive in my life. Even when I do the good things, there's some kind of selfish gratification to it. My wife goes out somewhere and I think to myself, you know, while she's gone, I'm going to really serve and I'm going to clean and I'm going to try to get things in the house and I'm going to get dinner ready and I'm going to get all these things done. There's a part of me in the back of my mind that says, you know what, I'm going to look really good for doing all these things. And that's part of my motivation for wanting to do it. There's a time coming when we stand in the Lord's presence where none of those sinful thoughts are going to be there. None of those sinful motivations are going to be there. And yet, Paul encourages us to, as much as is humanly possible, live that way now. Don't grow weary of doing good, because, man, as we continue to do good, we're going to reap a reward from that. And one of the biggest rewards for, that we get to see in the good that we do is that this place looks different than the world. That this church looks different than the world. That where the world is selfish and covetous, where the world is harsh and cruel and not understanding, we get to be the opposite of those things. We get to be gracious and kind and loving. We get to create peace in our lives as we come to this place. And as we band together, we develop amazing self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that comes from walking in the Spirit. And as we live that way as a congregation, people outside hear how this place is different. People in our community hear how this place is different. And that no matter what your past, you can be accepted here. And that no matter what you're struggling with, you can find help here. And that no matter where you find yourself lacking, you can find your needs met here because there's something in this place that just can't be found in the world. There is love that flows from the Father. Because as we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and we realize that the very deepest and darkest of our sins have been wiped away and obliterated and forgiven, we get to gather together and show that same grace and love and acceptance to those who walk through our doors. And in doing so, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. In doing so, we're the image of Christ into this world. And you must understand that living the way Paul is calling us to in Galatians chapter 6 is not possible unless you hold on to the truths that he has presented in chapters 1 through 5. Because it is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that creates the changed heart that allows you to do this. It is the power of gospel, of the gospel unto salvation that allows you to live in such a way that is selfless. It is Christ's power to create a new creation in you that allows you to live in such a way that you truly think of others before you think of yourself. 
Paul finishes off this section of scripture with a command that he gives us. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, the command that we are given is that while we have the chance and when we have the opportunity to do good, we should do it. As we see someone who is in need and we have the ability to fill that need, we should step out of ourselves and say, yeah, even if it costs me something, I'm going to do that. And who are we supposed to do that to? The Bible says everyone. People we like, people we don't like, people who are easy to help, people who are difficult to help, people who appreciate our help, people who don't appreciate our help. And everyone in between. We're supposed to do good to everyone. But especially those who are part of the household of faith. See, there's something that binds us together that makes us so different from the world. There is something that binds us together that is stronger than any family relationship or any friendship that you will find outside of Christ. We are joined together by the shed blood of Jesus. And the cross has done something to us that we can't fully explain. Because when we come to Christ, we're made new. And suddenly, the things that used to appeal to us and the things that we used to love and the things that we used to crave, we don't crave them anymore. And things that we used to find absolutely no interest in, things of God, now suddenly are the delight of our hearts. And that transformation, that change that has come because of the power of the cross of Jesus binds us together makes us a family and gives us a love and compassion for one another that if we're honest with ourselves, we really can't quite understand. Because as we look around the room of people sitting here today, there are a lot of different interests. There are a lot of different personalities. There are a lot of different shortcomings. There's lots of different flaws. And yet, we've been joined to a family. And we have been joined together in such a way where truly we are willing to sacrifice for one another. We are willing to give for one another. We're willing to lay down our lives for one another. And you can't explain that in any other way than through the miracle of the cross of Jesus. So live differently. Hold one another accountable because you love one another. Give of your talents and your time and your treasures to one another so that we may make sure that there are no needs that are gone unmet in this place. And as you follow after the Spirit day in and day out, never grow tired or weary of that good work because the good work that you do makes a difference in this place and God is using it to bring those who do not know him 
to saving faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to live differently than the world. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to live in such a way that the world takes notice that those who are lost will be convinced that there is something about church that they have missed, that there is something about the congregation of God's people that they do not understand, that our kindness and our love will draw them into a relationship with you. Lord, may we never compromise our standards lest we be tempted into sin. But at the same time, let us, let us never withhold the love and grace of Jesus to those that you have come to save. Thank you for providing us with this gift of the church. Thank you for providing us with the blessing of a family. Thank you for giving us one another to hold us accountable to meet our needs. And let us, Lord, never grow tired of doing good work. We thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. All in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.